0: Listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website, this is BaptistChurch.com. And I'm going to ask Ethan, my uh, grandson, if he would, I'm going to ask Ethan to come up here. And uh, Ethan, do not be scared by all these notes. I promise I'll move quickly. Ethan uh, is legend. Alicia's oldest. He's 13 now, it's hard to believe. He was five pounds, seven ounces when he was born. And uh, he's just been a joy to his grandfather. Uh, Ethan and and I, you know, all your grandkids have each of them a special place. But uh, Ethan and I, we just from the time he was born, We've just done a lot together. We used to go to the movies all the time. You'd fall; we'd both fall asleep. People have actually walked out of the movie, and we would. And I would be awakened by this laughter because they were laughing because I had this little blonde kid laying in my lap. We were both out, so we don't need. We didn't even know how the movie finished. Uh, Ethan one time was really sick, and uh, really scared us. And they were transferring from River Oaks over to. Uh, to Batson by ambulance, and I'll never forget what Alicia said, she said, I know he's sick, because when he doesn't respond to his pawpaw, something's wrong with him, and uh, he just has a special place, and all my grandkids do, but he does as well. I've asked him today to read the scripture, and I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to the book of James, the book of James. And we're in the last passage, chapter 5. And um, I I want you to start at verse 17 at Elijah and read to the end. And then if you would, would you lead us in prayer and you come over here near the mic, okay? So James chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. And you can use your own Bible if you want, if you're more comfortable. This
1: one's really small, so Okay, you you go right in. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the land and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins.
0: Read verse 19 and 20 again.
1: Yes, sir. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins.
0: Will you pray for us?
1: Yes, sir. Dear God, I thank you for Southside. Lord, this church means so much to everyone in this room. They, God, you move in this place, and we feel it during the worship. We feel it during my Pawpaw preaching, Lord, and I thank you for this. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts to what you're about to say to us today. And I thank you for just an amazing movement of worship, Lord, that you will continue moving in this place. pray all this in your holy name. Amen
0: amen and all god's people said amen, amen. okay you can be seated now I'm, i i want you to keep that impressed in your mind ethan up here uh reading before you then praying for all of us because that is important i'm going to give you a word today it's a very simple three-letter word it's the word raw okay raw like raw meat R A W. Okay, now let me tell you, outside, if I were if I were gonna die this week, this would be the message outside of a simple salvation message, this would be the message that I would want to preach before I died. So this this message is critical to me, and that's why I wanted my grandson to be a part of it today. Now the word raw stands for three three words. It's, it's an acrostic that I want you to remember. R is going to stand for recognize, okay? Say that with me. Recognize. Um, say it again louder. Recognize. Okay, the A stands for able. Say that with me. Able. Let's say it again. Able. The W stands for willing. Let's say that together. Willing. Say it again willing. The R stands for recognize. The A stands for able. The W stands for willing. So recognize, able, willing, this word raw. Now I want to tell you a story and you've heard it before. But I want you to listen as if you've never heard it before. And, and Alicia, I wanted you to see your son up here because I felt like this was important and especially Ledge as well. But I think you're going to learn something today as a congregation that will change your life forever. If you remember this tall, good-looking grandson up here teaching or sharing. In the second, when I was in the second grade, we lived in Titusville, Florida. My dad, my dad worked for NASA. I was second in the lineup. In other words, if you wonder my family, my mom was married at a young age, about 16 years of age, and by 19, I think my mom was separated, ultimately divorced from her husband. She had one little girl, and uh, she was alone. She met my dad, they married, they had three more children, and so I'm second in the lineup. I'm right under my... Sister, I I don't call her my half sister, stepsister. I see her as my sister. Now, we were living in Titusville, Florida, when I was in the second grade, and down at the end of the street on Key Biscayne, there where we lived, down on the end of the street was a boy on the street running this way where our street teed into, and his name was Tommy. And Tommy was a bad influence. Uh, He he taught me how to steal. I I, I stole a bag of peanut M&Ms from the 5 and 10 cent store. He taught me profanity, four-letter words that I used at the table one day and my dad threatened to take me and give me a spanking and he did remove me from the table after I let the second four-letter word out. He taught me profanity. He taught me sexual perversion. He tried to get me involved in the second grade in sexually perverted behavior. He was a bad influence. Parents, listen, that's why you pray and you stay in tune with who your children's friends are. Now, you've got another challenge. It's no longer visible friends. It's friends on what? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media type venues. Now, when I was a boy living in Titusville, Florida, I rode the bus. And one day Tommy, this influence, he said to me, he said, Listen, wear your swimsuit under your school clothes and we'll go swimming. So I did that. We rode the bus together. We got off the bus. I was a stocky kid, a stocky, healthy kid, um, and my parents had no idea what I was doing. They had no idea at that point of Tommy's influence on my life. We grabbed our bikes once we got off the bus, and we rode to a place called Coquina Pit. Now, Coquina is a rock shell. It's it's uh, it's, it's almost like a coral-type uh, material. And it was called Coquina Pit because it was... a. Uh, it was made up of this coquina rock, and it had this blue water, and it was the kind of water that you could see through. And I, I could stand in it and see my feet. Now, Tommy went across Coquina Pit, across this small lake, just a little small place, this chasm, and when he got to the other side, he kind of raised his hands as if he were daring me to do the same thing. Now, Tommy then swam back across to my side. And he began to taunt me, began to say to me, you know, uh, hey, you do it now. Swim to the other side and come back. Now, let me tell you, I couldn't stand a a dare. So uh, I left the bank. And I began to go across that chasm dog paddling my way across, my feet moving frantically when all of a sudden I got to the middle of Coquina Pit and I put my foot down and there was no bottom. At that moment, my feet, my hands, I can see this 61 years later. I can still see it vividly playing in my mind. And I'm dog paddling desperately. And my feet now and fear and panic is beginning to come over me. And finally, I, I, I get scared. I swallow my first gulp of water. And in that moment, I'm drowning. I'm dying. I scream for Tommy. Tommy gets on his bike and runs. He's scared. I go down, I can see this. I can see this in my mind. The blue waters, the sun was glistening down through the waters, and I'm doing this just like I was doing a moment ago, praising. I'm, I'm doing this, a second grade seven year old kid in that moment, and I'm dying. I was afraid. Sun was glistening through the water, It's vividly recorded in my mind. I was dying. There was no hope. I was descending to the bottom. It's going down. See it. Still see it. See my hand up. And in that moment, it's interesting because in the series, The Chosen, when Peter's sinking, it shows the hand of Christ Jesus coming down and lifting Peter up out of that water when he was walking on water. Nobody set me on water, and it wasn't the hand of Jesus. But in that moment, a tan hand, a strong hand, reached down, I can still see it, and it grabbed my hand, and it lifted me out of that water like I was a rag doll. Just lifted me up and grabbed me and threw me on those shoulders. Coughing and sputtering. In a single motion, a Seminole Indian, An 18-year-old senior, my sister, said she thought she knew him, but she wasn't sure. His hair was coal black. And I'll never forget that back. It's triangular in shape. His hair, he was an Indian, his black hair flowing down his back. And I was wrestled. I was just literally hanging on now for dear life as he swam this chunky little seven-year-old, spitting and sputtering, coughing little boy across that chasm. And he set me on the other side. I want you to listen. Had he not recognized that I was drowning, had he not been able physically to rescue me, and more so had he not been willing Shelem would not be sitting here. Amy, Sam, Judah, Canaan, Issa, Kate, these are my grandchildren, Emily, Emma, Grace, Emma Grace, Sophie, Ledge, Ethan, Caleb, Titus, Jeffrey, who led the worship, Silas, August, Aaron, Elizabeth, Ethan would not have been standing here. They would not exist. All depended on a young 18 year old Seminole Indian who just happened to be there, who recognized a drowning little boy, who was able to pull him out of the water without going down himself, and he was willing. And all around you and I are men and women, boys and girls who who's are dying. They need somebody to recognize it, somebody that's able. And somebody that is willing. I walked into Walmart yesterday, and I and, and, and as I walked by, I, Sheila was returning something. So I'm walking down the aisle, and there's a man and a woman and a child, a little girl, and the little girl's being drugged along. And the man looks at her and he says, "That's the problem with you. You just kiss ass." And he and she. And, and, and here he was, he was angry and he's walking down and he's cursing and he's, and he's angry and his wife is just, she just looks like she's about to cry. And the little girl looks distraught. And all of a sudden he just does this and lets out a string of profanity and walks out of Walmart in Flowood. And I looked at that little girl. She was being drugged alone in this volatile, angry marriage and home, and the wife is crying in in Walmart, don't leave. Don't leave. And boy, everything in me, God, what do I do? And I begin to pray. All around you are men, women, boys and girls, people all around you who are dying. They're drowning. And if you and I are not willing, they will drown. They won't make it. So what's the three keys? What's the R stand for? Recognize. You see, the ability to recognize. If he had been blind, he wouldn't have seen the drowning boy. If his vision had been obstructed in any way, if anything had been different, he would not have recognized the drowning boy, and he wouldn't be standing here now preaching, I mean, uh, reading the Scripture and praying. And I wouldn't be here either. You remember in Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5. In fact, turn there, take a left, look at it real quickly. In Matthew chapter 7, look what Jesus said. Because it's a key to recognizing recognizing hurting, broken people. Look at what he said in Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see what? Clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Had he had a splinter in his eye, a beam in his eye, he could not have seen. You may say, well, what does that mean? You know, Jesus said this, He says, you and I need to be careful that in the attempt to straighten everybody else's life out, looking for splinters, we forget that there is a beam in our own eye. Do you know what I think he was saying? So often, we see in others what we don't like in ourselves. But he could not have seen, and you can't see if habitual, willful disobedience is a way of life for you. If you're living your life in sin closet sin, if you've got a habit, if you've got a sin, if you've got something the enemy's using constantly to cloud your vision, then my friend, other people will pay the price. Satan's biggest tool, and you and I accomplishing James 5, 19 and 20, is this, it's distraction. Thank God there wasn't Facebook Twitter and Instagram when this high school kid is there at Coquina Pit who just happened to be going by. Thank God he didn't have a smartphone. I would be dead. And every name that I read to you, Amy, Emily, Ledge, Jeffrey, Sam, Judah, Eden, Cain, Issacate, Elam, Parker, Rose, and Zeke, Emma Grace and Sophie, Ethan, Caleb and Titus, Silas, August and Aaron and Elizabeth would not be here on this earth. Had he had a smartphone, I would have drowned. Satan's biggest tool so often in the broken, hurting people and all around us is that we are too distracted by our phones, by playing games, by looking at Facebook, that we build, we have no relationships with nobody, and we communicate to people that we don't have time for them. And that's not just about smartphones, it's about your job, your education, your materialism, your stuff can keep you so blinded that you don't see the hurting people around you. You know, I wrote this down, do you care about your brothers and sisters in Christ? enough to confront them when you see them in a bad place? Let me ask you this, perhaps not, but what about your spouse, your children, your grandchildren? I, re- I received a call one time from a deacon. He said, can you meet me at this house? I said, yes. I said, what's going on? He said, well, so-and-so committed suicide. I said, what? He said, he, he went, and he sat down, he went to the home of his brother, sat on the front porch, put a shotgun in his mouth and killed himself. And he said, I need you to meet me at the home. The family's on their way there, and you've got to stop them. So I get there, and I'm standing out there, and I stop his brother and his family. I said, you can't go no farther. You can't go. What's wrong? You, can't, you just can't go. Just go. And there were other men that were a lot stronger than he was, and they literally physically took them away. And then I went to the scene. Where law enforcement was now there, they we're waiting on the coroner and a man had shot and killed himself. If you've never seen anything like that, you have no idea. We helped them load the body and then we had the task of cleaning up the front of the house, the porch, the walls, everything. We had to wash it all down. And then we had, after that, we, me, and, me and this man, we painted, we painted the house, the whole front of that house. When we got through, you couldn't even tell it had ever been anything there, that an accident had never taken place. And then I went to his brother and I said, You can go home now. He said, Well, what about? I said, It's all been taken care of. Well, what about? this? We've already cleaned up. We even painted the house, painted the porch, painted the walls. It's all clean. Everything's done. You can go home now. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, That's true. He said, you've removed all the resemblance of the tragedy but one. And he said, it was this. He said, I knew something was wrong with my brother and I knew I needed to go and I did not go. That was the one thing we could not clean out of his mind. You see, the failure to recognize people that are hurting is the greatest problem of the church today. People are drowning all around you. But you know what most of us are doing? We're playing games on our phone, doing anything and everything, moping, carrying on over our narcissistic, self-centered life. We're, we're boo-hooing about our little physical ailments or whatever they are. We don't have time for nobody else. We don't recognize. And the real tragedy is he failed to recognize that his brother was in trouble. What's the A stand for? Abel. You see, it's not only a matter of uh, being recognized, it's a matter of being able. Imagine, I wrote this down, imagine if, the, if this Indian, this Seminole Indian, had been like many of us today. Heavy smoker, heavy drinker, gluttonous appetite, overweight, out of shape, two strokes into the water, and he's breathing hard and has to re- turn to the shore and watch a seven-year-old boy go to his death. Because he doesn't have the health. Some of you in this room, I'll tell you what will keep you from being great men and women of God, some of you young, young people, you take no value in your health, none whatsoever. You'll squander your health away. And if this Indian had done this, I would have been a dead man, a dead little boy. The truth of the matter is, had he been unable then I wouldn't be here today. He was fit. He had long, cold, black hair, triangular build. His shoulders were broad. And over 60 years later, I can still see his back, his hair down his back, his strength and his power was literally, in my opinion, divine. It's And you say, well, you know, what does it take to reclaim? What does it take to rescue? Look at Galatians, don't get distracted. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Watch what Paul said to the church at Galatia. In Galatians chapter chapter 6, watch what Paul said, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you would fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? Galatians Galatians 6, 1 and 2. I wrote this down. Let me ask you a question. Are you able to save someone who's spiritually drowning right now? Now listen closely. Are you able to save another who's spiritually drowning, or are you so weighed down with your own sins, your own closet areas of rebellion, your own disobedience, your own quest for worldly pleasures, your own desire for money and stuff, that you're no longer good for anyone? Listen to what Paul said. He real quickly. You don't need a, you don't need a, you don't need to be a Greek scholar here. Listen to it real quickly. Let me exegete it real quickly. First, Paul said, if you're going to be in the process of going out and saving people, Paul said you got to be spiritual which means you live under the lordship of Jesus Christ and you have the indwelling Holy Spirit guiding you through the rescue operation. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit telling you how to approach that person who's outside the will of God or living in sin and you show enough care for them that you go out after them. You recognize they're drowning spiritually. You which are spiritual under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you have the eyes and ears of Christ, you see this person and you make the decision, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to make a difference. And secondly, Paul says you're going to restore them. What does that mean? The Greek word there means to set a bone. And let me tell you about this part of the life of a believer when you're going after the men and women, when you go after those people, those friendships, those family members that are going under in sin, it's not going to be easy. The word restore there means to set a bone. It's painful. It hurts. But if you don't do it, that bone will be an abnormality and will never be able to serve the way it once did. I have a broke finger here that was never set. In England, I was playing ball with my sons. It was a cold day. It was, and that's our newest member, Emmett. Do not be disturbed at all. He is letting me know he's here. And you too. Thank you, Emmett. But anyway, I have a broke bone here. And I remember Legend Jeffrey and I, we were on a cold winter day in England. We were throwing the football. They threw the ball, and as usual, they threw it too hard to the dad. And I heard my finger break, crack. And to this day, it's crooked. It's an abnormality. It doesn't work exactly right. When it's cold, it hurts. If you and I don't set, restore, set the bone of a broken member, of a a member of the body of Christ who's outside of the body of Christ living in sin and rebellion, then, my friend, they will be an abnormality to the body of Christ and they'll never function the way God intended them to function. And listen to what he says. He says, my brethren, brethren, count it all joy. Well, he says this. He said, where where am I at? He says this real quickly. Brothers, if someone is called to sin, ye which are spiritual, listen, restore such a one, what? Thirdly, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And the spirit of meekness means this. Let me tell you, I'm not going out there arrogantly when I approach somebody that's caught up in sin or rebellion or disobedience, I'm going out there guided by the indwelling Holy Spirit. I'm approaching them in meekness and I'm considering the fact that I could easily be there. Let me tell you why I care about the homeless man on the corner. Because that could be me. Considering thyself, selfless, thou also be tempted. The table could be turned. I could be that. The, the homeless man who lived on the frontage road down here on the interstate, who went up, we went up under there. Magazines looked like we were in a dental office. His bed was made and tucked under. There should have been a chocolate on the, on the pillow. It was clean and immaculate, far cleaner than some of your homes. Living under a bridge, how did you get here? And I'll never forget what he said. in African-American, the second CPA to graduate from Ole Miss. He said this. He said, my, I had a CPA practice. I was doing well in life. I, had a, I was married. I had a six-year-old boy. My wife had an affair and took my boy and ran off with another man. He said, I tried to go to Atlanta. I tried to start my life over again, and I failed, and, and I'm under this bridge. You know what my thought was? There go I but for the grace of God. Fourth, chapter uh, 6, verse 2, Paul said to the Galatians, "Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I wrote that a repentant child of God may help sort out the consequences of the choices that people have made while they were living in sin. I'm not only here to help you get that parakaleo in the Greek, parakaleo. The Apostle Paul, when he said, I beseech, he says, this is you and I. We're down there, right there, looking eyeball to eyeball with a brother and sister who has fallen, broken, caught up in sin, drowning. And we get down there and we get eyeball to eyeball and we begin to say to them, we're going we're to we're do this, we're going to do this together. You're all right, but you don't know. you that person's looking and say, You don't know what you don't know the seed that I've sown, you don't know the crop that I've got to bear. Hey, I'm here with you. We'll bear it together. We'll get through this. As my wife said, It's all right. God's got this. You're not alone. I'll help you. We, you hear it? We will get through this. But then what's the third letter you got to recognize so that means you're going to have to get rid of some distractions and begin in 2024 to say you know i want to be more sensitive to the people around me the girl who's waiting on me in cracker barrel a woman who waits for you in cracker barrel an african-american older woman is the sister of willie she lost a son She doesn't need for you to come in in a narcissistic, arrogant, self-centered attitude as if you're here to wait on me and to allow your children to look slop and leave the table looking like an absolute disaster and for $2.13 an hour, you flip her a dollar bill. She needs you to look in her eyes, see the hurt and the pain and the struggles that she's having to make ends meet, to battle with and grappling with the loss of her son. She needs you to notice her to recognize her and to be able to help her and to be willing to help her because that's the key. That that Seminole Indian recognized that I was in trouble. He was able to rescue me, but listen, he was also willing. I wrote this down. You see, some of you have all of the above, but you don't want to get involved. You don't want to endure the pain or the cost that it takes to go out there and rescue somebody, and it does. You don't have time. I don't have time to be involved in people's lives. Do you know in Matthew 25, that's the only thing God brings up? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was thirsty, you drank. Give me a drink. Well, Lord, when were you like that? All those times you noticed the broken and the hurting all around you. Because they're everywhere now. They're everywhere. But you got to be willing. I wrote this down. You see, some of, some of us have all of the above but we don't want to get involved. We don't want to pay the cost. We don't want to to invest the time. Imagine if the Seminole Indian had not invested the time. Imagine if he had looked. Sheila is breathing hard because Amy, Emily, Ledge, Jeffrey are not here Sam, Judah, Eden, Cain, and Issa Kate, Elam, Parker, Rosenseat, they're not here. Emma Grace and Sophie are not here. Ethan, Caleb, and Titus are not here. Silas, August, and Erin, and Elizabeth are not here. They never existed because a seven-year-old boy drowned. She can't hardly breathe right now. And she's crying. Imagine Ledger and Louise there on Key Biscayne, the sheriff and the deputies come up and they say, are you so and so, do you have a son so and so? We're sorry, but your boy drowned over here in Coquina Pit a little while ago. And later on, when an interview's done, there's a Seminole Indian said, you know, I thought that boy was drowning, I knew he was drowning. But I had somewhere to go. I didn't have time. Tell that to God one day. I may fail in a lot of places, but let me tell you one thing I do. He's a wise Sheila, tell you, they're compassionate. We're coming here on Wednesday night, homeless man, dirty, filthy man standing down there at the first, first light, holding a little placard. I said I said roll down your window Sheila was on the phone she said she we we've talked to him before I said I don't care I said roll down your window I said sir we've got hot soup and cornbread and iced tea if you just come up here and take the corner and come to our church I said we'll help you out Sheila said and Sheila's by far an unbelievably compassionate person she said well you won't listen he won't come I said maybe this time I love the battle story of the platoon that was ambushed. They were under fire. One single soldier laying out there in the open, bleeding to death. A friend of his, they had all taken cover. A friend looked at the sergeant and said, Sergeant, I want to go after him. I want to go out there. The sergeant says, "That you, you'll get, you'll be killed. You can't do that. The next thing the sergeant realized, that, 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 that private went running out into the field and he watched that private down there next to his bleeding friend and he, and, he, and he was there with him and the shots were firing. and He was there and then all of a sudden he got up, tears were streaming down his face and he ran back while they were trying to fight off the enemy and give him cover to get back. When he came back down into that foxhole, when he got back down in there, the sergeant looked at him and said, Private, do you think what you did was worth it? that private look with tear stained eyes he said yes sir because when I leaned down at my friend's side he smiled and he said to me I knew you would come I knew you would come some of you have family some of you have friends some of you work with people that are dying some of you students are going you're sitting in a classroom of broken hurting lives and you don't have time and you don't care And I wonder whether he's saved at all. The body of Christ today is being ripped to pieces. And for most of us in this room, we're content to sit in the foxhole, watch TV, eating ourselves into oblivion, apathetic, indifferent to the broken and the hurting of our society. And it's worse than ever. Every mask usually says somebody's scared. Last thing, realize the reward. You know what James said here? James said this. He said, when you turn an erring brother, he says, you save him from death. He said, well, what does that mean? 1 John 5, 16 and 17. We don't have time. You know what John says in 1 John 5, 16 and 17? He brings up the sin unto death. Let me explain that real quick. That's when the child of God is living in such defiant disobedience, in rebellion, and they are so grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit, as Paul said in Ephesians 4 and then in 1 Thessalonians 5. They are grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit so that finally God says, come on home. Adrian Rogers said it's like this. You take your child, you take your old junior, you take your baby, I don't mean you junior. You take your little boy, you take your little girl to the party, take your little boy to the party. And you say, now listen, now when we get to the party, don't pull nobody's hair, don't trip anybody, don't eat the cake, run your finger through the cake, don't do any of these things, because if you do that, we're going home. Get the kid there, and he's no sooner out, he's pulling a girl's pigtail, she's crying, and you look at him and say, you keep it up, I'm taking you home. And a little while later, he's over there. He runs his finger down the cake before it's ever been cut. I told you, I'm going to take you home. And then finally, he does one more thing. And you, say, finally, you finally say, Come on, what's going on? You, hey, listen to what a parent says. You're not going to embarrass me by how you're behaving. Just come on home. God says, I'm not going to let you do that. Swindoll said this. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said the first result is that the straying saint's soul will be saved from death. Now listen to this. The word death could mean that if, the, if this individual has not turned back to the Lord, listen, he or she may have died under divine discipline. In other words, God will just take you out. Come on home. It's a bad way to get to heaven, isn't it? But listen to what he goes on to say. But he said, it is more like, however, that James means death in a metaphysical sense. Listen to what he says. And I'll close in a moment. Stay with me. When we turn straying saints back to the Lord, listen, we rescue their souls from death-like existence of loneliness, bitterness, anguish, and guilt. In other words, listen to this. You're rescuing them not from a physical death, you're rescuing them from what almost is a spiritual death. They don't have the presence of God in their life. They don't have the provision of God. Their lives are just absolutely being lived spiritually in misery. I think I'd rather go to heaven than live like that. Now let me let me let me close. James says he covers with he covers a multitude of sin. I want you to stay with me. This is critical. I, I wrote this book years ago. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a big writer. I've done a few interviews, did, did some television, radio. I did some things. I wrote this book several years ago. And a lot of people, people question the title. Uh, I, had a, I had a publisher call a couple of days ago. I handed the phone to Sheila because it's such a, it's such a racket now, you don't know who to believe anymore. And these people were talking about we've been in New York Times or this or that and they were going on and Sheila was listening to that. But I wrote this book, it's called Killing the Church. Failure to confront. Because let me tell you, the failure to confront is killing the church. Because if people don't physically die, sin unto death, they become so wounded spiritually they're no good to the body of Christ, right? You know people like that? So I I wrote this book. Now this book is free for anybody that wants it. You can come come get a cup. But I I, I wrote that book. And let me tell you, in this book, I I, I tell something. You remember the the Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life? You remember uh, Clarence the Angel? And you remember Jimmy Stewart who plays this character who's just at the end of his rope? What is he getting ready to do at the beginning of the movie? He's getting ready to kill himself. He's going to jump off the bridge, kill himself. And he makes this statement, he said... I wish I'd had never been born. And you know what God says to Clarence the angel? He said, let's let him see what life would be like had he never been born. And you know what God did? He took the thread of Jimmy Stewart's character, he took it completely out of history. He removed it, threw it away. And he allowed Clarence to show a world, Pottersville. You remember? He allowed him to to see what the world would have been like had he never existed. Now, I want you to stay with me. I don't even want you looking at Jeffrey. I want you to stay with me here. You're not going to be a pin-up when you start confronting people and telling them that God loves them too much to live the way they're living. You won't be. But I want to ask you a question. Just like me telling the story of It's a Wonderful Life and Jimmy Stewart's life and how it affected I want to ask you a question. I want you to put your thinking caps on, really think. I want everybody to stop. I want everybody to stop. I don't want you to write. I want everybody to stop. I want you to look this way. I want everybody to look this way. Stop, look this way. If you don't look this way, then leave. Because this is critical. Is there a sin, an re- act of rebellion, or, is, or a chapter, or is there something in your life that you think every once in a while, I wish I could go back and remove that? There is in my life. In fact, my geriatric psychiatrist friend who has been on faculty at Oxford University in England, he gave a copy to one of the professors in in Oxford. He said, I heard what you were saying. I I saw it. You see, in every one of our lives, there's a sin. Maybe young people, you're not there yet. There's something you did wrong. There's some mistake you made. There's some road you went down. There's a decision that you made. Whatever it may be, and the cost of that you live with to this day. But imagine had somebody loved you enough to confront you and say to you, I'm not going to let you go down that road. I'm not going to let you make that decision. I'm not going to let you make that choice. I'm here right now to tell you that you're going down the wrong road, you're making the wrong choice, and you've got to stop right now, and I'll do whatever I have to do to stop you. Imagine, and I wrote this down, what if you could remove that one sin? What would your life be? What would your life, what would my life, what would this church, what would this community, what would this world look like had you been confronted, invaded one person over one sin? You know what the Bible, I want you to listen now. The Bible says that when you turn an erring brother in the Greek, it's a, it's a sheep that's nibbling and they're just following their appetite and they're nibbling to the edge of a cliff. They're nibbling to a place of danger and you see that, you recognize it, you're able spiritually, and you're willing, and you go and you stop them at the edge of the cliff, and you turn them back. You know what the Bible says? When you turn them back from that sin, you cover a multitude of sins. Because listen, one sin, young people, one mistake leads you down a road, and before long you're making not a, one sin, not one mistake, you're making a 100, 1,000, tens of thousands. You and I may get to heaven one day and God may look at you and say you remember that day you felt led by my Holy Spirit and you went and talked to that person and you got in their face, you got eyeball to eyeball, you got down and you looked at him and said listen you're making a mistake here and you need to stop now. A man who had an unbelievable ministry in this church. We had turned our home into a halfway house, a shelter for women. There came a point when I looked at the man that ran that ministry. I looked at him and and I said, you are getting too involved. You're making a mistake here. He wept and cried and the woman that he ultimately left his wife and his two children for and he ran off with her. And his life was hell. And his 18-year-old boy was laying in the floor when his dad left, beating his head against the floor. He came back almost homeless. He came back, walked down this aisle. I thought, what is this man coming to tell me? He came to me and he said, Brother Jeff, you were right. I'm sorry. But my friend, the mistake that he had made it's too late to cover some of the consequences. You see, some of you in this room, you have the ability, you have the, You can go ahead and stand. You have the ability, you have the opportunity right now to recognize that there are people around you in your life. You see friendships, you see relationships that are flirtatious, you know this is going to lead to something, sexual promiscuity. You know it's going to lead down a road that's going to cost them greatly in an affair. And you know in that business, in that work, in that neighborhood, or with that friend that you need to be the strong voice of truth that says this relationship is going too far. It needs to stop. And I want you to know I see it. Some of you in this room, you, you have to look at somebody and say, listen, I know you're covering it up. I know you're gargling and you're doing everything you can, but you have an alcohol problem and you're holding it in the closet and you think you're keeping me out of it, but you're not. There's some of you in this room, you're caught up in an addictive behavior in the area of pornography and the people around you know that and somebody needs to say, listen, I'm not going to let you go down that road. I told a pastor, I told a pastor, I said, listen to me. I said, the feds will dupe you, trick you, and pull you. And once you go down that road, before long, they'll have you in child pornography. And a man hung himself on that house over there because he was caught with child pornography. Some of you in this room, there are people around you that you know are living in willful disobedience to the word of God and, the, and you have the ability to recognize, to see them, you're able and you need to be willing to go and carry out a rescue operation. I can't let you do this. They may never be your friend again. They may write you off and I could give you a notebook full of them that have written me off. But in heaven... I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Those friends may come back in millennials, years. They may come back in eternity, or they may come back a year from now and say to you, thank you. One day when I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, the Lord's going to say, uh, well done, thou good and faithful, sir. That he's going to go, got somebody you, want you to, I want you to meet. And Ethan, you, you'll get to meet him too. Because you're going to walk in there one day and I'm going to be smiling. And Ethan's going to be, oh man, Ethan, I'm glad you're here. Come here. After we've sat there with Jesus, Jesus wants us to meet this guy. And this good, sharp, cold black hair, beautiful Seminole Indian is going to come walking up as a brother in Christ, he's going to wrap his arms around me and say, I had no idea. I had no idea that the seven-year-old flashing, flaying and about to die, I had no idea what would come out of you. I had no idea that you'd be a missionary in Zimbabwe. I had no idea that you'd speak in the largest bases in, in England. I had no idea that your life would impact so many. I had no idea what you would do. I had no idea the people and the generations that would come out of you. I just saved a seven-year-old drowning boy. Wow. And now thousands are coming into the kingdom. That's you. You can leave out of here this year and be on high alert. God, show me those people. Wherever they may be. Our Heavenly Father, we just love you and we praise you. Lord, outside of preaching you, Jesus, dying on the cross and saving us from our sin, and Lord, that was the greatest rescue of all. You dove into this world of sin. You dove into a world of people drowning and flaying and falling into sin, and you, you reached the divine hand of God down into the midst of our sin, and you saved us. But Lord, for many of us in this room, we have the same opportunity for people who are lost and dying in their sin. We have the ability to take the gospel. For others in this room, there are people that we know they are living in disobedience and defiant disobedience, and we need to go to them and say, I can't let you live like this. I love you too much. So Lord, help us be about the kingdom's work. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, may God right now, dear Lord, you wrap your arms around them. You, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you grip their heart. You do what Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 3, you do a circumcision of the heart. As they turn to you in repentance, the Bible says that you circumcise the heart. You pull away that flesh so that, dear Lord, the power of your Holy Spirit is able to move in but it only comes as we repent of our sin and turn to you. So, Lord, I pray today that we would turn from our sin, turn from our drowning in sin and say, Lord, save me. Lord, we just love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.